is a production of burgundyblog.com. What's up? This is Brent from Burgundy Blog. It is Wednesday, July 19th. This solo edition of the Burgundy Blogcast is about just why, somewhat surprisingly perhaps, I am currently feeling that it is premature or possibly outright incorrect to assume that Kirk Cousins will be done with the Washington Redskins after 2017. Okay, so first of all, some of the points I'm going to outline in this pod will build off a hypothesis that I put forth on my last pod, which was entitled Cousins Contract Climax. So I recommend that you check that out. It's not a long one, just so that you understand a little bit uh, sort of what some of these ideas are founded on. The gist of that pod was that I think it's entirely possible that Eric Schaefer and the rest of the Redskins brass knew full well and were comfortable with the fact that at the time they got locked into Kirk Cousins' first tag, they were very likely committing themselves to two tags or possibly even three tags, the average annual value of which would have worked out to about 24 or possibly $26 million a year, and that the Redskins a full year ago were essentially choosing that three-year pseudo-contract with an upfront guarantee of only $20 million over the long-term deal that Cousins and his agent probably would have accepted at that time with full guarantees at signing of more like $44 million. Again, merely a theory, but I think maybe it has legs. So, since I recorded that pod, what's happened? Well, on Monday, uh, of course, as you all well know by now, uh, the Redskins and, and Cousins camp failed to reach agreement on a long-term deal, so we got locked into the tag uh, for the second year in a row, and he'll be making automatically, fully guaranteed, $24 million this year. That part, of course, was not especially surprising. It's what I predicted and thousands of other people predicted, based primarily on simple math. Now, I will say I think that that Redskins offer was absolutely not something that Kirk Cousins was ever going to seriously consider, but I would not consider it insulting, merely inadequate. I think a lot has been made of the fact that Cousins apparently refused to even counter. I think that's probably been overstated because I'm quite sure that uh, both sides sort of knew where the other side stood and that Cousins indeed had some number and I guarantee you that Bruce Allen knew basically what it was. It just was so far away from Bruce and Eric's number that it wasn't really worth talking about. Anyway, the more interesting thing, of course, was that at like 4.03 p.m., Bruce Allen summoned a hand-picked group of local Redskins media to his office for this super bizarre propaganda session where he read a statement including specifics of his offer, presumably trying to make Cousins look like the party that was refusing to dance, and ineffectively covering his own ass for failing to complete a deal which he himself had previously described on multiple occasions as, quote, not that hard. It was a stupid and humiliating move, another giant PR gaffe for the Redskins, who seemed to be in the business of creating them week after week. And it made a lot of people very concerned that Bruce Allen right there at that moment may have completely alienated Kirk Cousins to the extent that there was essentially no chance he would be returning after this one last mandatory year. I totally get that reaction, and I am obviously unable to completely exclude that possibility. I certainly think that if the bridge is not burned and Cousins does stay, it absolutely will not be because of Bruce Allen. It will, in fact, be in spite of him. But now, without further ado, let me explain why, over the last... 12 to 18 hours or so after fully digesting all the events of yesterday. I have actually developed the impression that the likelihood of Kirk Cousins being the Redskins quarterback in 2018 and beyond that is still pretty good. Bumpers, bumpers, bumpers. 
So first and foremost, right off the bat, number one, and I think that this will probably be my bullet point that comes closest to a novel or original idea, and this again relates very closely to my three-tag theory from last week, dot, dot, dot. I frankly have convinced myself that $34 million for one season, which is what they would pay him if they exclusively franchise tag him next year, will very soon, across the NFL landscape, be a number that few, if any of us, consider prohibitive. This idea was influenced very heavily or even inspired by an article written in The Ringer by Kevin Clark last week about the true value of a franchise quarterback and how all of them, even those at the very top of the totem pole, are wildly underpaid in terms of what exactly they mean to an NFL team both on and off the field. And also, of course, considering their relative scarcity, being that there are only maybe 12 to 15 legitimately good ones in the entire known universe, and of course, 32 NFL teams. The way it looks right now is that $34 million will represent something like 22% of next year's cap. I totally, totally get that that would be wildly unorthodox, and that when you have a team comprised of 53 people, that seems asinine on the surface. I ask you to think, just for a minute, about how unbelievably freaking important a quarterback is to a football team's success in the current day and age. Out, I even really need to convince you of this, but is there any other position where win totals associated so closely and directly with the performance of an individual player? I mean, come on, we don't talk about wide receiver wins. We don't talk about safety wins. We don't talk about left guard wins. We talk about QB wins. I mean, that whole concept, hashtag QB wins, of course, with a Z, widely hated, but come on, we all know. You gotta have a legit quarterback anymore to have a reasonable chance of going to the Super Bowl. Dilfer's Ravens and half-dead Peyton Manning's Broncos are outliers. They have a totally insane defense, the likes of which the Redskins will probably never obtain, to get by with a quarterback who's substandard. I already know this, but my point is, why, why exactly is 22% of the cap so outrageously irresponsible for a player whose performance is you know, logarithmically more important and influential on the team's overall success. I want you to think a little bit outside the box. This is the direction the NFL is going. It's getting more and more QB-centric, not less. If your quarterback is literally 10 times more important in terms of your win likelihood than a solid starter at some other position, then why exactly shouldn't you be paying him 10 times as much? We all know, obviously, that the cap is going up and up and up, but what I'm trying to suggest is I believe that the cap percentage taken up by legitimate franchise quarterbacks itself is going to start going up and up and up because people cannot help but catch on to the fact that they are so critically important. Carr just got a really nice deal, but I think with some of these upcoming mega contracts like Stafford and Matt Ryan and when Aaron Rodgers gets done again, you are absolutely going to see some crazy numbers. And I think if Cousins hits the open market, you will see some ridiculous numbers with a fairly young quarterback in his prime, unfettered, unrestricted, many smart people like ex-agents and former uh, NFL front office executives have suggested he could make $30 million a year plus in terms of average annual value. And we're talking about Kirk Cousins not Aaron Rodgers. His quarterback contracts are about to start going absolutely buck wild. And I think $34 million next year, while it sounds insane to us right now, I think that perhaps as soon as the end of the 2018 season, a number in the 30s is not going to seem quite so ridiculous for QB1. All of which finally leads me to believe even more strongly than before that tag number three is fully in play. 
I think the team considered it a viable potential option down the road last year when they started this path. I think they're still thinking about it now. And I think that if Cousins tears it up this year and they still want him around, that that's what they're going to do. So you're obviously talking about two more full seasons from this point from today, two more full seasons worth of investment by the team into the player and by the player into the team. And at that point, they might be pretty well effectively married already. I've said all this about money, of course, despite Cousins having said all along hundreds of times that he is not really directly in this for the money. And by the way, separate topic, I guess, I actually fully believe him, but I do sense that he has a legitimate interest in being the guy that helps completely blow up the NFL salary structure in the favor of his fellow players and future fellow quarterbacks. And him making $34 million next year is not going to make any of those people unhappy. Point number two, coaching and the appeal of coaching. Everybody, of course, knows that Kirk Cousins was drafted under the Mike and Kyle Shanahan regime and that the Shanahans love him and that Kyle Shanahan was around for his drafting, partially molded him, has a good rapport with him, totally believes in him, and presumably would absolutely love to have him in 49ers red and gold. I concede to you all of that, but what often gets overlooked is that Jay Gruden is the guy who stood on the table and made Kirk Cousins a permanent season-long starter. Clearly, this is not some brand new piece of information at my disposal, but Cousins said something on the radio yesterday regarding his loyalty to Jay Gruden that really took this consideration to a new level for me. Quoth Cousins, I do feel like I owe him my career. His coaching is why I am where I am. Wow. Googly eyes emoji. That's pretty deep. That's pretty legit. Kirk Cousins has some serious respect with a K for Jay Gruden. Again, if the 2017 season goes well with Jay Gruden calling plays, if Cuz throws for 5,000, if Cuz throws for 30-plus tutties, and the Skins win a playoff game, or even if they don't, but he finds that he feels really comfortable in the pocket there with Gruden in his headset. Are we so sure that Kirk is just automatically going to want to go run back to Kyle? I'm not. I think Kirk absolutely could end up choosing the Redskins largely because Jay Gruden is here and because of his relationship with him. Reason number three that I think Cuz might not automatically bolt after this season. This also is something I've considered before, but really was encouraged to ponder even more deeply based on something he emphasized multiple times for several minutes on the radio yesterday. Kirk Cousins knows the value for a quarterback of playing his entire career, or the bulk of it, with one team. He has identified correctly that most quarterbacks who have been the most successful, the most famous, and therefore the most influential, which as I've said many times before, I think is really the end game here, his ultimate goal. Most of them spent a very, very long time with one team and thereby were able to master sort of all the nuances, not only of the team dynamics, but the stadium, the fans, the front office, the media. Kirk knows that being that extra level of comfortable in a particular environment might just be what it takes for him to get over the hump into superstardom. Now, is this reason sufficient in and of itself? Of course not. A lot of really, really good famous quarterbacks have switched teams. And if it comes down to it, he obviously would not rule it out. But I think when it really comes down to brass tacks, whether it's next year or the year after when he's signing a long-term deal, I think that there is truly a significant inertia within him that's going to make him think twice about starting over. 
And then finally, my fourth point for this pod, last but certainly not least, is the thing Kirk Cousins professes to care about more than any other in this life, and that's God. Kirk Cousins says that he really wants to do what God wants him to do, and I am certainly not going to turn this podcast into a sermon. I would humbly submit to you that I have spent a pretty good chunk of my own life trying to learn as much as possible about the same God that Kirk Cousins worships. And if there's one thing that I know and that Kirk Cousins definitely knows about God is that he works in mysterious ways. You can tune this last idea out if you want. I hope you won't. The God to whom Kirk Cousins has devoted his life often takes weird, messed up, confusing, disappointing, sometimes even tragic situations and very intentionally and specifically turns them into goodness for the purpose of demonstrating the importance of faith. And I strongly suspect that the impact of the potential life story of leading the renewal and restoration of the very biggest NFL tragedy of them all. By that, of course, I mean the Dan Snyder slash Bruce Allen era Washington Redskins. I strongly suspect that the impact and implication of that potential life story is not at all lost on Kirk Cousins. You have been listening to a broadcast by Burgundy Blog.